Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease, and I'm married. So I guess it's more like we have Parkinson's. This is When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Joining me on this podcast journey is producer and reporter, Nikki Reitmeyer. In this episode, it's going to be all about caregivers or care partners, the people who really stand beside, behind, and take care of the people who have Parkinson's. In my case, it's my wife, Rebecca. Oh, God, do I love her. Yeah, We're celebrating 20 years of marriage this year. Wow, that's incredible. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I, I have to imagine when we stood up there and said, until uh, death do us part and sickness and health and all that jazz, Parkinson's wasn't on her radar or mine. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, we can do this. Um, I, I couldn't do any of this without her. Like, like I couldn't do living with Parkinson's or working full time or parenting or being positive or doing this podcast, loving life without her. Aww. She's she's awesome. Uh, and as often as people check in on me and my PD, they're also asking how she's doing. Uh, the last time my mom was in town, Rebecca and I talked to her about what it's like to be a caregiver. She was at my dad's side as he died from complications of myelofibrosis. So we asked her if she had any wisdom to pass along. She needs to find time for herself away from you because it it can wear on you mentally, basically. I mean, physically, she doesn't have to take care of you at this point. I mean, maybe she does. I don't think she does. No. But she needs to keep her mind going. And I know your dad always wanted to make sure that I was going golfing, that I was playing bridge, I was doing this or doing that. And I never knew whether he just wanted to get rid of me a little bit for some time for himself or whether he really, but I think he really was worried about my my mental health because it is something that you don't know. It's the fear of the unknown. Because you don't know what to expect is going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. And it's very difficult to plan ahead because you just don't know how far ahead you can plan that you can still be an active person. What was it like hearing your mom's advice, hearing something from someone who cares about you and loves you just as your wife, who is your more close caregiver, feels about you? She has distance, so it was mm. okay. Like, she can look at it objectively now. Yeah. In the heat of the battle 15 years ago, I mean, it was it would have been rough to, to have her try to figure out 
what she needed, but in, in with distance comes wisdom. Yes. And, and so she can look back on that. Oh, here's what I needed to do for myself and, you know, and, and forcing her to go to card clubs and stuff. I mean, like she appreciates that now and she realizes how important that is. Uh, and I, and I, I know it's not easy for Rebecca already. And we're just beginning this stage of the journey. Uh, I'm, I'm coming to realize, even though we're both being impacted by my Parkinson's and our journeys are intertwined, they are very separate paths. Since this is all about caregivers, I've asked Larry to leave the studio. I've kicked him out for a bit. <laughs> and his wife, Rebecca, is going to be taking his place behind the microphone. Hello, Rebecca. Hi, Nikki. I'm happy to be here. So I'm, I'm really glad that we're doing this because so much about Parkinson's is about the person with it. But we all find that impacts the caretakers and the spouses, too, um, it differently, of course, but in equal ways. And they have just a very different journey to talk about, and it's worth, it's worth exploring that. It gets complicated. It's complicated. Everybody's life is complicated. This is our complication. Your version of complicated. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, I listened to an audio journal that you recorded in one of those moments of oh my God, my life is really complicated. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, you could really hear in your voice, you know, the the anxiety that you were feeling or just the, the overall emotion. Yes, I, I call those moments dark nights of the soul. My husband's changing and um, it's scary. And I even had a conversation with him where I said it feels like I'm losing you. And I know that Henry feels that as well. Where he's like, my daddy's here, but I'm uncomfortable asking him to play with me because I feel like he's going to say no because he's not quite with us right now. He's tired, he's exhausted. There are moments when it feels like he's leaving us and it's not that's not always rational because he's right there and he's actually really good at being present with us as much as he can be it's just less than it used to be so it feels like a loss and it feels yesterday I told him and I know it hurt when I said it but it was honest like there are days when it feels like I'm a single parent. And sometimes they are a moment, sometimes a, day, a night, sometimes a day. Sometimes that morning, it was a morning I woke up having felt sad and um, doubtful and lacking the amount of hope that I like to carry with me through through a normal day and positive attitude and whatnot, lacking that several mornings in a row yeah. <laughs> and going, well, maybe I need to express this somehow. Maybe I need to to figure this out. And how can I refine that balance? Because I'm needed. I'm needed for my loved ones, but also for myself. If I don't show up in that life, in our life or my life, then then what is there? That's what I'm here for, is to show up in life. For me, I think it's the moments when I have those tough moments, when I can 
get enough perspective on them and not necessarily pull out of it, but just see them for what they are, they're still offering just as much as those kind of happy, naturally joyful, silly moments or whatever that you have in a day with a nine-year-old. <laughs> um, but they, the joy offers you freedom, and the there isn't so much freedom in the dark moments, but there are lessons in them. And so I suppose that I, uh, having that conscious perspective, since I'm not currently in one of those dark moments, I can have that perspective. That makes sense. Yeah. Pre-Parkinson's, Larry doesn't exist anymore. And we're grieving that a bit. And the Parkinson's, Larry, is changing all the time. And sometimes in a not very good way. Sometimes it's... You know, every week there's a new loss in some way. I guess I was allowing myself to move through it a bit and was very emotional. I still am. And so now I'm talking about it with you. And the intention is that over time it becomes less of a roller coaster and more of a allowing and accepting and moving through what comes love, gentleness, but right now I feel anxious and sad and a bit scared. (sighs) Have you had a chance to like really connect with other caregivers who are going through something similar to what you are? I have. um, At a few fundraisers and whatnot, I, and they're remarkable people. And they're always standing right beside, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, they're always standing right beside the person who they're, they're taking care of. And happily so, most, you know, almost, I, I would say everybody who's a caregiver who I've, who I've met has very, um, positively taken on that role, understands the roller coasters, also very generous with their time and their offers to help. For instance, we met um, at a Porridge for Parkinson's event, which was the very first Parkinson's event that Larry and I went to together. We met a man named uh, Noel McDonald, who very openly and generously shared much of his story about himself and his wife, Marg uh, Meikle, who was a broadcaster for CBC Radio, as a matter of fact. And she was diagnosed with Parkinson's at 42, Wow. And uh, Noel was 43 and their son was one. Wow. So there are obviously a lot of parallels there and a lot in common. And so he was particularly generous with us during this conversation and authentic and really um, detailed in his stories and happy to talk and very um, sweet in his way that he spoke about his wife, but also very straightforward. There no holds barred. So it was, um, we thought it would be, he would be a great addition to the podcast. We met late in life. I'm 63 now. And if I do the math, I was 40 or 41 when Marg and I met um, through um, Voice Personals in the back of the Georgia Street. (laughs) No way. Uh, Yeah. Um, (laughs) And um, about two years later, we were married um, with the, the intention of having a child. Mac, our son, came along in 1997, so he's 21 years old now. Wow. Um, Marg was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 1998. 
she was eventually diagnosed with uh, multiple system atrophy, which is uh, a subset of Parkinson's disease. And at that time, probably the same now, uh, the only way to diagnose that was with a brain autopsy. So that was at her death five years ago that we found out that that's what it was. And now Marg was a broadcaster, mm-hmm. as my husband is, as you know. Marg was, and her priest at, at CBC Radio was, she was the answer lady. I mean, she was on this national program with Vicki Gabbro, and she would come in and prior to Google, people would send in questions and say, you know, why is P-E-L-O, or how much does your head weigh? And she would go out and do a, a humorous radio piece about that. <laughs> and um, so she was the woman who got answers, and we were stuck with this disease that had no answers. And Mark continued to work and to write and to do projects because that's who she was. She was, you know, she was just doing stuff and doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I left work um, and um, came home to help raise our kid, and then I got fired. Marg said, you can be my caregiver, you can be my husband, but you can't be both. Right. First of all, I want to talk about the parenting mm-hmm. issue. And that's something that we're facing in our family big yeah. time when you've got the younger kids. So many people are retired and their and their kids yeah, are this grown. Is an old person exactly, thing, right? right? So when you're diagnosed when you're younger, like Mark was, like Larry yeah. is, um, the practical imbalance that's that we're still kind of working through is that now I'm doing you know, probably 80% of the parenting, and it used to be a lot more 50-50 because he's just, understandably, he's less he's less present. He has less energy. It takes more time for him to kind of catch up to what we're doing. Um, it's just a, it's a, he needs to focus on himself more. He needs to make himself a priority more. So therefore, then I have to kind of take on more, mm-hmm. and that's just... That's part of parenting. That's part of marriage. But it's still very different from how we did it before. Yeah. So we're trying to kind of find that balance. So I would love to hear what you have to say about how you you said you quit your job yeah. so that you could be full-time dad and also start. She was needing more care yeah, as no, well. I, they, right? I was, it was going to be full-time dad and, and caregiver. And so when I got fired the, with the caregiver piece, we hired people to come in. Right. Um, so and your son fifth, was still young at that point, oh, yeah. right? He was in grade three. Yeah, um, that's right. So Henry yeah, is, yeah. yeah. Um, so I was a Bayview Elementary School mom for grade three to grade seven, um, yeah. and and I was really lucky to be able to do that. Um, How did you manage that? How did you kind of make make peace with that? And I didn't. And move, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, fair enough. I never did. Fair enough. Yeah. Never did. Um, I never did, and that's okay. But we um, we created space for him and Mark together, mm-hmm. and those were emotional spaces. Um, they weren't uh, a lot of communication spaces because Marg lost her speech, mm-hmm. um, and that was a big challenge. And then she lost her physical engagement sometimes because the flat affect that comes with Parkinson's and yeah. and that whole piece. But um, she was still there. But, you know, probably after grade five or grade six um, was when I really kind of just went, well, I'm single parenting. Yeah. And that's okay. That's the gig. Um, you know, no, it's not. That's It's not okay. That's the gig. Um, it's not okay. Yeah. Now, tell me more about the story of 
you mentioned several times that you were fired as a caregiver. Yeah. I'd love to hear about that. Well, I mean, she was the smartest person I knew. Um, it, it was emotionally draining to do everything. Um, I hate that disease. And it was pretty easy to hate her because the disease lived in her. Yeah. And so she saw that that's where we were going. And that's not a good place. And so there was only so Why, much. Why? Because, because you were spending so much time yeah, well, we facing face to face other, with the disease right? through we were never your away wife. From each other. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was like there was this understanding that um, this disease was taking over our emotional relationship. I think that's really common. Um, uh, and so. There wasn't an option for us not to be together uh, because that wasn't who we were, and we had this little guy. The first time Larry and I met you, you gave us some really smart advice. Do you remember what that was? And we oh, remember, we a, think I'm about this all the time, <laughs> <laughs> and we remember this, and we haven't we haven't quite needed to use it yet, but it was. Be very conscious of what's more important, being a spouse or being a caregiver. Yeah. And be willing to make those hard choices when the when the time comes. What are you willing to do? What's most important and what's most valued by both people in the relationship, but in your situation, and I could see that being the same for us in the future, the person needing the care. Yeah. Who do they want to be cared for yeah. by? When you're dealing with the physical stuff that comes with Parkinson's, depending on what that physical stuff is... It's pretty easy for it. It was easy for me to start to see Marg as a piece of meat mm. that I had to manipulate in a particular way to get a particular result to make her life better. But you know, you're just that's not the woman that I love, and that's not mm. the woman we made the son with, and that's not a good place. Mm-hmm. It's not healthy for her because she knows she can feel that vibe. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for our son to see our relationship that way because we wanted to, you know, it was really important for us to model to our son what that looks like, what appropriateness looks like. And also to model to our son that um, there's the disease and then there's your mom. And so that was really important too. Yeah. Um, That's hard, though, I, I find, because the disease affects so much oh my gosh, in everything. your life, right? Yep. It affects every decision. It affects your day. It yeah. affects how you interact with that person. How are yep. they feeling that day? Things shift day to yep. day, hour to hour sometimes. Yep. So, But then making that distinction, even for myself, and then trying to explain that to my son, saying a disease is only one part of your daddy. Yeah. It's only one part of my husband. Yet it permeates everything, so oh, that's yeah. a really tough distinction. Yeah, it's like this fog that just yeah. sits in your house. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a mom of kids the same age, uh, who her husband died of a, of a chronic disease a year before Marg. She goes, "Yeah, when you, when you're in it, you're just kind of putting one foot in front of the other." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, in fact, most of the time you're putting one foot behind the other." What do you mean by that? We're not really moving forward. You're moving backwards. Because of the progression of the disease. Yeah. And you're just, yeah. you know, you're not, you're not doing that. You're, you know, and, and 
I'm of the opinion, I believe that those that leave are okay. That the that if you're in a situation and you can't do it anymore, that's okay. It's not on you. Yeah. And um, I think people need to hear that because you sit there and you go, well, I got to do this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, caretakers and spouses and partners have choices too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, tell me more about that and how you took care of yourself. What did you do to maintain well, your own personal balance during that time? Uh, I don't know how balanced I was. Um, uh, so the kind of day-to-day pieces is lots of therapy. Um, Mark and I used to do couples therapy, and then we did, and that worked for a while, and then it became clear that we needed to do individual therapy. That you know that saved our lives, all three of us, Mac, Mark, and I. Um, that was really, really important. Um, we took breaks separately, um, and I would go on holidays for a week or ten days, and the first three or four days I'd feel like a jerk because I wasn't doing my thing. I wasn't pulling my weight. And then I had a couple of days of feeling a little better and my shoulders were relaxed for a little bit, and then you kind of get back into it, and then you get home and you'd be slammed in the face with the reality of what it was. And then we really focused on the joy of watching our son grow up. I think that's, you know, what kept mm-hmm. us somewhat sane. Mm-hmm. Mac is 21 now, but and I think he may be a little less me-centered than he was when he was five, but not much. <laughs> um, I get it. Trust you me. Know, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, and that's good because uh, there there is no graduations to the me filter. It's just full on me. I, you know, this is about me. I want to be fed now. Um, and I don't feel good now. And uh, I'm mad because of what's happening at school now. Uh, and I don't really care that mom's got Parkinson's. Yeah. That's not in, that's not in my toolbox. That's not part of what's going on. Yeah. And that was so great. Um, if we hadn't had Mac, things would have been a lot worse. Um, so that's a really good thing. I, I love, can I just interrupt? Yeah. I love that perspective. It's like it would be, and that rings true to me, even though I don't know that I've ever thought those words, that it would likely be more difficult. Because oh, I think about yeah. all of the things that I have to think about, and I'm caretaking for yeah. two people and all this stuff, and it's still trying to make time for my own self-care and, yeah. and whatnot, and it's hard. It's a juggling act. It's yeah. spinning plates, right? Yeah. Um, but... Think of the things that think at what what the focus and the silliness and the present time and the and all the just having a, a beautiful distraction and somebody else yeah. to focus on other than the Parkinson's yep. and it, then all of that balance that the child actually brings to the situation. He's a better kid for having a mom with Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. I know that. Yeah. I know that. Um, that's a gift that she gave him. Marg, in the end chose to die and um, when I would go see Marg um, once a week I would say to her uh, do you want this to end and she would either give me a yes or a no a nod or not Um, and at that point she was still able to use a pointing board kind of like an Ouija board so Mm -hmm. she could do that and then our um, 
our agreement was that if she said yes, then I would come back to her the following week and double check. So we had a false start um, early in the year where she said yes, and um, I was in a unit with some nurses that I that I love and I know really really well, and they were like, "What's the matter with you?" And I said, "Well, my wife wants to die," and I completely lost it. And then the following week, she said, "Maybe not." And so we uh, had a little trial run on that, which is good. And um, you want to be sure, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and so then in the summer, she said yes and meant it. What would you say is the one thing that you wish you knew before? going through the, the full progression of Mark's disease as a caregiver? Um, I think that I, I, I wish I knew how to take care of self-care better earlier. Mm-hmm. Knowing right from the beginning that it's not selfish to take care of yourself mm-hmm. and to find a way to do it. Because the ways that, that are the easiest don't work. The, the like, mm-hmm. That glass of red wine doesn't work. Right. <laughs> um, Darn it. I'm here. I know. I know. As much as I try. Um, but the, 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 the therapy and self care piece and, you know, figuring out what works on that front is so important. And you can't start early enough and denial doesn't work. I guaranteed that you're just saying, well, I'm okay. That doesn't work, and it doesn't work for you, and it doesn't work for your partner, and it doesn't work for the people that are important in your life. Do you find that amongst caregivers who are going through something that's similar to what you're going through, that you can have more honest conversations? Yes. Because I imagine that the conversations that you'd have with, with friends and family, although you know you said you guys all love each other and you have close relationships, either they're nervous to ask you honest questions or you're perhaps uncomfortable with this thought of burdening them with your honest answers. And a bit of both. Yeah. A lot of both sometimes. They don't know, necessarily know how to respond. And um, I feel like there's a, an expectation to respond in a certain way or to understand in a certain way. And um, so that can make people feel uncomfortable. The other and along the lines of what you're saying, it's the other aspect of that is that it's really hard to hear that that a loved one is going through something like this. And then they're hearing about Larry going through it as well. And all of these people love Larry as well. And so that can be really, it can be really difficult. So I don't necessarily want to put them through that. Mm. And it's also really difficult for them. Like you can see, you can feel the discomfort. Even for me, it's a lot of over telephone lines because a lot of my folks are in other places. But um, you can feel that discomfort as, as as you're talking and you can feel that line of, oh, I, I've probably gone a little bit too far. <laughs> I've gone a little too dark for them. Right. And um, and that's a that's a tough that's a tough thing to be to be faced with. Absolutely human. Absolutely understandable. Are they there for me? Nonetheless, of course. But it's it's hard. So at three o'clock in the morning, if I'm having a dark night of the soul, you know, what do I what do I do? I don't necessarily want to. They would want me to. But I don't necessarily want to or necessarily feel comfortable all the time burdening someone with that. What do you think is the hardest part of what you're going through? 
I think the hardest part is, and I'll just say it quickly, but the, the hardest part uh, is the uncertainty of not knowing where this disease may go and how our family will be impacted. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like I've talked about that a lot. But so I'll move to what, I, <laughs> what was kind of like the, num- the number two right after that, which is um, a, a sense of loneliness, of oh. feeling like there's, because things are changing so fast and our relationship, my relationship to Larry is changing because he's changing and shifting and whatnot, we're kind of reestablishing things. He's understandably and through no fault of his own, less kind of less available as support for, for me during those tough moments. Mm. And I feel less comfortable asking him for that support. Perhaps that's, Perhaps I should be, you know, relying on him more. But right now, we're still kind of re-finding where that balance is. Is how do we talk to each other so that we're not stressing each other out with what we're going through, and how do we still support each other and still have this transparent communication that we've had during the rest of our marriage? Yeah, you know, along those lines. Then I also feel like, you know, when I kind of under the umbrella of loneliness, is that. You know, there are only some people in the world who know what it's like to be the spouse of a person going through something like this. And then even within that, there Parkinson's is so specific and a certain kind of disease because it's progressive and it's over time and it affects your body and your and your mind in different ways. Right. And it, there's so much uncertainty attached to it that there are only certain people who get what that experience is like. I have a wonderful support system. I have family and friends who would be there in a second, who are there in a second, who I can call. I don't question that community, but they don't necessarily know or know how to respond when I talk about some of these things because they don't know what the experience is like. So it's about, um, for me, collecting more of a community of people who get it and connecting more with the caregiver community, which... I've already resolved that I want to do. It can be hard because we're all really busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, it's hard to kind of seek them out, especially young people mm. who are spouses. There aren't very many of us. So that can be a bit of a process to seek that out. And I'm in the process of doing that, but I'm committed to finding that, that building that part of my community and my support system. Rebecca and Noel aren't alone. With 10 million people diagnosed with Parkinson's worldwide, there are 10 million or so caregivers too. John Parkhurst is one. He and his wife Margot live in Ontario. She's had Parkinson's for 28 years. I wanted to know from John what kind of support he finds is available for not people with Parkinson's, but the spouses of those with Parkinson's. You know, I, I think it's, it's I, people get in the moment and we get, you know, we're doing this for our, our, our spouse, our partner, uh, and, and we put them first. Uh, I think there's some support groups, and, but, but a lot of times they don't do as much for caregivers as we need. And when you look at how much work the caregivers do, if you, if you put a financial dollar on it versus, you know, having the government try to help you with that, there are some supports, but, you know, the, the government gets caught up in red tape. It was like we tried to look at if we needed to do respite and, uh, you know, a bed so I could go off and do something if my daughter wasn't available or anything. But, you know, it ended up being 
I think four interviews, and then then it was afterwards. It was it was more or less well. Oh, if you don't use it right away, uh, we have you'll have to do this every time, which is just so inefficient. And you know, and and a lot of times with Parkinson's because it's you have a crisis and then it it falls back and they they take you off the books. So if if you needed somebody to come in for support, you have to start the process all, all over again because. They're more geared to, you know, like a crisis that's going to start and then it's going to stop. But Parkinson's is a long journey. And the other part is that, you know, that we end up, people with Parkinson's and stuff, using a lot of resources. And, and a lot of it is, is it, it could be more streamlined in, in the recognition that the disease is, you, some days you're going to need help and you might need not help for six months, but it shouldn't. When you need help, it shouldn't take six months to get the help because by that time, the crisis is over and you've had to solve it yourself. Right. You know, if there's one thing that I've learned on going through this journey with, with Larry through, you know, his diagnosis and through doing the podcast with him is that, well, the official support might not always be there in the capacity that people need it to be. There is this grassroots community of people who have Parkinson's or their loved ones have Parkinson's, and that community really seems to come together and to support each other, be it, you know, literally being in the same room as someone and having a conversation or sort of this online emotional support that happens. So in the spirit of that, I'd like to ask you, you know, what advice would you offer to someone whose spouse has just recently been diagnosed with Parkinson's? Because God knows you have the experience now. <laughs> That's good. I have to just back up a little bit when you talk about building supports, because, you know, basically when Margaret was diagnosed, the first thing she says, well, we should have a support group. So, so we actually, you know, created one which has been going on now for about 30 years. We've backed out, and they're, they're running themselves. But Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and um, yes, thank you. Um, but you, you really, and, and I've gotten off topic a little bit here, you, you really have to, 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 it's a long haul. You have to take care of each other. You know, it, it's partially when you look, and you have to plan, although I'm not the best planner in the world. You know, you have to look at the long term. It, it's, it's like I ended up with arthritic knees that needed to be replaced. Now, I could have gone for, you know, until it became a crisis, but we didn't know where Margot's health was going to be in, in like three years from now. You know, so you, you try to, to schedule your life as much as you possibly can to, to, so you don't have to call in the, the heavy-duty supports and things. But you really, you, you have to take it day by day. You still have to have fun. You know, we laugh at each other as much as anything. Life goes on. We were, we are able to do things like, like we've, uh, Margot had DBS surgery, uh, uh, what would be 12, 13 years ago, which really helped reset her disease so that it rolled it back uh, a number of years. And, and she didn't have to take as much medication. And, and it really took away some of the, the symptoms that, she, that were troubling her. But we didn't look at that as a gift, like, well, we'll be able to plan something, do something. So we, we set off, and, and we've seen a lot of the world with her Parkinson's, but you do it in ways like cruise ships are great because you can, you can have a supported environment, but you can, you can almost have two different vacations. If, if somebody wants to go off and, and uh, 
and do the uh, zip lines or something, somebody can sit by the pool and, and have a day lounging around. So you have to be creative and look at ways that you can support each other, and you can't put off things um, that you might want to do in the future because you just don't know. Okay, so we've invited Larry back into the studio oh, once well, again. You. Hello. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, we should have warned people that this was going to be like a three-tissue episode. I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Hearing John, Noel, and Rebecca pains me. It, it's one of the real suckier aspects of Parkinson's. It just doesn't impact the person with the disease, but dramatically impacts those closest to them. Yeah. I talked to neuropsychologist Dr. Robert Duff about it. He's been on the podcast before. Right. He hosts the Hardcore Self Help Podcast. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. You know, um, obviously the term most people have heard is like caregiver burnout. That's real. It, it happens all the time. Uh, it's very easy for uh, Parkinson's. Any neurological issue. Um, as it progresses, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of organization. It takes a lot of planning. If the person is a family member and they're still working, and they're also trying to manage this person's care, it can be a lot to take on. So one one thing is, in a lot of areas, there are caregiver resources. So like in my local area here, there's a place called the Caregiver Wellness Center. And there are a lot of these around now. They're, they're popping up more and more. And they're sort of a, a hub where at this one, they have uh, caregiving classes, so how to deal with certain behaviors or logistical things. They have support groups for other caregivers and family members where they can kind of talk about, is this normal? Am I weird for feeling this way? Uh, is it, should I feel guilty about feeling so burnt out? Sort of things like that where they can get some empathy from other people who actually know what the heck they're talking about. Um, and then they all, they usually also have like a resource library. So say you know the caregiver needs to go in for an operation and they're not going to be able to be there can they find some respite care or what are the different options that are available for getting some additional help? All sorts of things like that. So just Googling, you know, caregiver resources and then your city name would probably be a good place to start. You know, there might be a Parkinson's organization in your area. Um, even looking at the Alzheimer's association, even though we're not talking about Alzheimer's here, they have a lot of the same resources that they might be able to point you toward. So things like that would be good. And just Making sure that you get to have a life too. You know, yes, you care about the person who has Parkinson's and you're trying to care for them the best you can, uh, but you're not going to be a good caregiver if you're not taking care of yourself, you know. And so making sure that you give yourself the opportunity to take some time away to, to do whatever it is that, that kind of fills you and feeds your soul. If you need therapy because this is depressing for you, um, get it. It's not it's not something that you need to be guilt, feel guilty about. Um, this is a normal part of the process. You know, it's, it's hard for everybody involved and that's nobody's fault. So just trying to make sure you're taking care of yourself and not doing the caregiving in a bubble. Uh, by that, I mean, if it's just you and the person who has Parkinson's and that's it, you don't have any family members or friends or outside supports that are sort of seeing what's going on with you. That can be dangerous because you may not realize that you haven't been sleeping. You may not realize that you're sort of decompensating in these ways. But if you were to you know, have regular meetings with friends of yours or family members, they can go, whoa, you're not taking care of yourself. You need to, you need to look at this. You need to be honest with yourself. You need to have some sort of check there. And I guess my other question is, you know, you mentioned romantic partners and then we talked about care partners and oftentimes yeah. it's one and the same. How do you, how do you balance between this two of being a romantic partner and a care partner? And can you do both? A lot of people do both, you know, um, to, to different levels of success and, and success would have to be defined by you, you know, like what is success in your relationship, in your caregiving relationship? Um, there's often a, 
there's different things that can come up. Sometimes it's a very natural transition um, to being somebody's caregiver. You know, I know, for instance, if my wife became, you know, chronically ill and in a certain way, I would feel comfortable, you know, doing the things that are that are private, you know, you know, helping with the bathroom, for instance, that comes up or other things that are just uh, personal issues. Uh, For other people, if they don't have a very, very close relationship, it may be like, wow, we really are taking things to the next level now with this, or I just feel super awkward about it. And this just isn't my realm. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Um, There is a certain amount of uh, overlap with you know, kind of how privileged you are in terms of what resources are in your area, what money you have to throw at the problem and stuff like that. But um, yeah, you can definitely be a partner and a caregiver. Um, communication, as I talked about, is, is, is a helpful part of it. And, you know, reassuring the person that they are still your spouse. They're not your patient. You're not their doctor. This is just you guys in it together and, and continually telling them that. And asking for what you need as well. If you need something from them, not assuming they're going to figure that out by putting the pieces together and being perceptive and all of that. Just trying to be more open and straightforward about things. In each episode, Larry sits down with his wife, Rebecca. So for me, this episode is kind of a microcosm of our life where you have to do more of the work. (laughs) (laughs) It didn't feel like work. It was... I welcomed the opportunity to, to give a voice to partners and caregivers. What did you learn? It was a reminder. The biggest the biggest theme that I, the most consistent advice and um, topic of conversation for everyone on the podcast was self-care. So it was a really stark reminder of that. I have always tried to consider self-care and whatnot, it's just gotten harder in the last few months, and I realize that I'm slacking on it a bit. So that was a really helpful reminder as I listened back to every as- every part of the podcast. It's like, oh, self-care, self-care. self-care. Oh, yeah, self-care, self-care. So, and I realized that I never really talked about self-care, my own self-care, during any of the conversations, <laughs> and mostly because I don't, I'm, I'm not being aware enough of it. I'm not acknowledging my own self-care as much as I need to be. So that was, it was just helpful for me to remember that this, and I'm hoping that that would be, will be a really helpful reminder to other caregivers and partners as well. Yeah. I thought it was really profound and honest and helpful what Noel said about his perspective about making a conscious choice to remain in a partnership with someone or to make, to be a caregiver for someone when they're going through something like this, you have to, it's acknowledging that there are choices that even caregivers have these choices. Would most partners choose to remain in the relationship? For me, I recognized that I had a choice and a moment later I said, no, this is this is what I'm doing. This is part of the relationship. We know that this is this that this could come down the line. This is the commitment that we made. I love you. I want to help. I want to support you in your journey. This is clearly part of our journey as partners, and so let's just embrace it as much as possible and move forward. You know, that said, it was really powerful when he said, "You have the choice to not be in this anymore." 
and gave people the freedom and permission to really, truly consider that as an option. So well, knowing that you have that option allow may be, make it easier to stay. Yes. I also was taken by you know, the, the advice to communicate. And I'm like, oh, well, we're good communicators. And then, you know, it rears its head. We're like, we, this morning over breakfast, like. like we it, thought we were being really clear with each other. We were, and we just completely. Wow. Like, like comets passing in the <laughs> night. <laughs> and it's like, oh, it's harder to communicate with Parkinson's. And it's harder for me to hear. And it's harder to. For, to understand each other for whatever reason. It's not like we're speaking a foreign language, but Mm -hmm. like we just, we're not always connecting like we used to. Yeah. We're reestablishing our relationship a little bit, reorganizing it and discovering different ways that we need to communicate. And I mean, since we started our relationship, since we started, we were friends and then we were dating and everything. You've, you've been my best friend and my main support and the first person I go to with a problem, the first person I go to for advice and perspective or just to complain about something, just to, to vent. You've, you've been that to me, my most trusted confidant for a long time, for our entire relationship until now, as things change... Um, I'm more hesitant to tell you everything. And that's because you're dealing with a lot. You're trying to focus on yourself more, and that's a struggle for you. So I want to help you with that, not be like, hey, 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 I've got this thing. I've got this thing. I know you're trying to focus on yourself, but hey, can I talk to you about this? And the other part of that is that as part of your disease some of your symptoms are anxiety and depression and you're dealing with some of those things as well so if i if i'm having a dark day and then i want to come to you and say hey i'm having a really dark day can i share this really dark stuff with you i'm i'm hesitating a lot more before doing that and there are more days than not that i'm not telling you those things because I don't want to add to your list of things to worry about because you worry more than you ever used to. I hate to think that you can't come to me or that you hesitate coming to me because I love you and I want to be there for you and I want to support you and I think I still can most of the time. Are you okay then if we kind of recommit to being transparent and telling each other things and relying on each other in that way and having part of that also be like being really honest on those years I just can't hear it today I'm sorry or can I get an hour can I finish what I'm doing or can I go for a walk or go meditate for 10 minutes or whatever and get into a better space and then I can let's let's communicate about this let's do that okay so I recommit to you I recommit to you Okay. I love you. I love you. Last year, Parkinson Canada conducted a survey through Ipsos Public Affairs and found Parkinson caregivers are burdened. One in four have full-time jobs while taking care of a loved one. Those caregivers surveyed reported often feeling stressed, exhausted, and guilty that they aren't doing enough. Six in ten reported feeling frustration towards the person with Parkinson's. So what can you do? 
Well, Parkinson Canada has links to caregiver webinars and an online resource available called Am I in Balance that caregivers can complete to identify areas of stress in their lives and where they might want to take action to stay healthy and well. We'll provide links in the show notes. On the next episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. But basically, each line is a gene. They may discover the, the, the cause. This is um, Larry's genome. They may develop um, disease-modifying drugs. So why is Larry in, in Canada? I don't know. Is it because God knew that you had this terrible disease and then you have a different you know, medical treatment up there? You know, to have that hope, to know from a faith point of view that you know, God is sovereign and all you can do is, is live your life to bring glory to Him. Uh, every day and that is it's as simple as that I find myself you know um, pretty much every day saying prayers for different people for different things and, and you're every day in my prayers I feel I feel the prayers coming at me and it's uh, it's powerful from Curious Cast, this is when life gives you Parkinson's. If you'd like to help spread the word, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free to this podcast. Yes, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your streaming audio. And you can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Social media is a real simple way to help spread the word and raise awareness for Parkinson's disease. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, just look up at Parkinson's Pod or email us, Parkinson's Pod at Curious CuriousCast.ca. And be sure to check out the show notes for information about what you heard today and links to all of our guests. When Life Gives You Parkinson's is written and hosted by me, Larry Gifford, and Nikki Reitmeyer. Dila Velazquez is our story producer and sound designed by Rob Johnston. Keep positive. Keep exercising. And keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the ring.